Hello, and welcome to the Going Not Knowing podcast. Now, I'm Peter. I'm Bo. And today we're going to be talking about Genesis chapter 22 and Abraham sacrificing Isaac. But before that, we're going to continue on with the story of YWAM and their ship ministry. And then we're going to give an update on where we're at as a family on our journey. In the last few episodes, we've been telling the story of Lauren Cunningham and the YWAM ship. The first time they went to buy a ship, they got away from honoring the Lord in the way they went about it. And they ended up losing the ship. They lost their deposit. It was an event that God used to humble the leadership of YWAM and to refocus them on Christ. Yet even in the death of the ship, God was speaking to them about the resurrection of a ship. After several years, God began to stir them about the ship again. And one of the staff members, Don Stevens, found a ship in Italy and began to talk to Lauren about it. But Lauren was, if we remember from the last episode, Lauren was hesitant. It took a man coming from Toronto telling Lauren that he had a vision about a ship for Lauren to be on board with pursuing this particular boat. And we tell that story in the the last episode. What I want to share in this episode is the story of God's provision for how they were able to make the ship seaworthy. When they bought the boat, they didn't have much money to repair it, and they had to do the repairs themselves and to clean it. The ship was uh, in terrible condition. So God didn't provide everything that they needed up front. No. In fact, the 175 students or so who are working on cleaning the ship uh, didn't really even have enough food for a proper diet. They were mostly surviving on rice, beans, and peanut butter. They didn't even have enough fuel to run their generator for the whole day. They could only run the generator for a few hours a day. They were living in an earthquake-damaged hotel in Greece while they're trying to fix this ship. God didn't give them, God didn't provide what we would call a, a comfortable a comfortable situation, even with just the food. But as they began fixing up the ship, they realized that they wanted to be spiritually prepared to go out when the ship was ready. And so they began a 40-day fast, and they did it on rotation. So some members were cleaning uh, and repairing the ship, and others were fasting, praying, and worshiping. It was during the period of fasting that there were some specific fish miracles. And the first one was one of the young people were walking on the beach, and suddenly 12 fish jumped out of the ocean into a tidal pool. And they were able to gather up these 12 fish and bring them back. And some of the 175 were able to eat fish with their rice and beans that night. A few days later, a large tuna jumped out of the ocean onto the beach. And they were able to bring that back to the ship. A short time after that, a young woman named Becky was having her quiet time by the beach. And 210 fish jumped out of the ocean onto the beach. In the book, Is That Really You, God? Lauren Cunningham relates the conversation that he had with Don Stevens. And Don said, Lauren, take note of this. I'm not exaggerating by a single fish. We counted this. And there was another time where the fish just started jumping onto the beach. There were there were thousands of fish jumping onto the beach. The locals came and began gathering them, and the YWAMers gathered 
fish. And the YWAMers gathered 8,301 fish. You know, we all want to be able to witness stories like this and experience it. But if you think about the conditions or the context in which God did this miracle. It was a 40-day fast. So they're fasting, but they're also living in a earthquake-damaged hotel while cleaning a ship and living on rice and beans and peanut butter. And we don't like that part of the story. But it's like they were in this place of need and they were seeking God and they were doing what they could with what they had. Right. And that's one of the things Lauren Cunningham said is they weren't waiting for the tool to do ministry. So even while the ship was being fixed, they were actually ministering to the Greeks who had been impacted by an earthquake. You know, this story was shared and it ended up on Christian television. And then when people heard about it, they found out about the ship and the ministry that was being planned and the vision for the ship. And money began pouring in. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association donated money. David Wilkerson Youth Crusades donated money. Television stations donated money. And all the money they needed to make the ship seaworthy came in. God could have provided money for this ship in countless ways. These youths were put in a a difficult situation where they had to express their faith. By faith, they needed to clean this ship. By faith, they're fasting and praying. By faith, they're doing what they can with what they have, knowing that their resources are not enough. And it's in that place that God miraculously provides. And it wasn't just a blessing for the people of YWAM, but for all the people of that area, that village, all the the local Greek people that witnessed it and who could catch some fish for themselves, too. And, And not only was it a blessing for the local people, but Mercy Ships is a ministry that has been going for decades now. And Mercy Ships was birthed out of this ship, this one ship which they named the Anastasis, which means resurrection in Greek. And how many thousands, tens of thousands of people around the world have been blessed, have been blessed by mercy ships, have had surgery, have had food, have had training. Uh, Their faith, the faith of these young people to believe that God is a God who keeps his promises. God is the God of the impossible. And even though I'm in a place that's difficult and painful right now, God can do far more than we can imagine. And that faith released the miracle, which released the blessing of mercy ships in the world. And I'm sure that in all that time, they also had times of doubt and questioning. And when things don't look ideal or the way that we think they should, and just having those questions of, are we doing this in vain? Is God really in this? Is this really going to work out? This seems impossible. Yeah, why do, this why is do we have to eat rice again? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think if you're living in a, a damaged hotel, scrubbing the deck of a probably should have been sold for scrap or well, faith that releases blessing is a good transition to the story of Abraham. Genesis 22 It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. This is a very familiar story for most of us, if not all of us. But one of the things that that stands out to me is it says God tested Abraham. I think it stands out because none of us like the idea of being tested. We definitely, definitely don't like taking tests. But we know from scripture that it is something God does. And it's interesting that Abraham's faith has been tested for years. Like God called him to leave his country, to leave his family, to go without knowing where he was going. Abraham had to believe that Sarah would be able to give birth to a baby. You know, Abraham has been living by faith for years, decades even. And now at this point in his life, God decides to test him. I don't think this testing is the same kind of testing we would think of, as in you either pass or you fail. But I wonder if when God tests Abraham here, it's more of God opening this opportunity for Abraham to say yes, for Abraham to obey and, and to demonstrate his trust. And it's, it's beyond what any of us could imagine. We can't imagine sacrificing our only child. And yet this is what God asks Abraham to do. And he says, as a burnt offering, there's no escape. There's no way, no exit ramp. It's not uh, sacrifice him to me in the sense of dedicate him. But it's when you offer a burnt offering, it's gone. It's done. Abraham gets up, obeys immediately and takes two two of his servants and his son and begins to travel. He probably did not sleep well that night. Just thinking about what he had to do, what what God was calling him to do and not knowing what was going to happen, but yet wanting to trust God, that God will keep his promise. And valuing his relationship with God more than Isaac. If Abraham loved Isaac more, he would have said no. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. But there was something in Abraham that allowed him that even the most precious thing I have, the most precious person I have, I'm willing to release that because I value God more. Well, they travel for three days. Then Abraham sees the mountain and he tells the servants to wait. He, He tells them to stay with the donkey and he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. This language that Abraham is using, that there is an expression of faith here because he is saying, we will come back. We will go and worship and come back. God had promised Abraham that it was through Isaac that the nations would be blessed, that he would have descendants like the stars. And so even though God is telling him to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering, he is still believing that the promise will come through Isaac. And that somehow, some way, even though he sacrifices his son, his son will come back with him. Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. 
He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Now, Isaac is, is no longer a, a little boy. He's not a toddler. Uh, he's old enough to carry the wood for the burnt offering on his back. He's old enough to reason and to look at what they have and say, uh, we're missing the, the lamb for the sacrifice. He is not a little child. And Abraham is also very old. <laughs> He is an old man. So what this indicates is Abraham, uh, uh, there, there's some level of Isaac being willing to be sacrificed. Because if he, he could have overpowered Abraham, he could have run away. He could have, and yet there's, there's something, unless he, you know, just totally tricked him. So he submit to this process of being tied up. It says that he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And so the the most reason, I think the most reasonable explanation is Isaac was willing to submit, which is hard to, to understand. But it is exactly what Jesus did. And this whole sacrifice is, is a foreshadowing of what God, our, the Father, will do with his son. And so it's at the last moment when Abraham has raised the knife to slaughter his son, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees a ram with its horns caught in a thicket. And his word to Isaac, the Lord will provide himself a ram, comes true. And so they call the mountain the Lord will provide. And it's after they sacrifice the ram that the angel of the Lord calls again. And he's speaking for the Lord and he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this. And have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And what strikes me there is that Abraham's obedience means there's a blessing for all the nations of the earth. Abraham's faith and his willingness to obey God means that everybody else on earth is blessed. I think so often when God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, our focus can be on the cost, the the discomfort, our reputation, and we we can narrow the conversation to just me and God. God, why are you making me do this? God, why do I have to do this? And we don't realize that God wants to bless far beyond our own family. And this is, you know, you brought that up with the YWAMers, that their faith blessed the the local people, but their faith also, you know, enabled mercy ships to launch. 
and has blessed countless thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people Mm -hmm. over the decades, all because they had enough faith to live on rice and beans and clean a ship. Mm -hmm. And Abraham did not get to see this promise played out. When God showed him the stars, Abraham did not get to see all of the, the people that would be blessed through the promise, but yet here he is given that promise and the opportunity to believe. A few things that stand out. One is Abraham obeys immediately. God speaks to him in the night, and the next morning he gets up early and and departs. I wonder if he thinks, I better get up and do this before I change my mind. You know, he doesn't argue with God. He doesn't negotiate. He doesn't waver back and forth. He doesn't ask people for advice. He knows what God has called him to do, and he's going to do it. And if he would have told Sarah, she would have said, no way. Or at least we think. I mean, you know, everybody around him would have said he's nuts. But what he knew was, this is what God has called me to do. Mm -hmm. The next thing is God's provision of a ram. God didn't tell Abraham how it was going to play out. It wasn't until he was in the midst of it that God provided And I think a lot of times we can want God to line everything up before we get started. That before we take off, we want to know how it's going to go. We want to know how the money's going to come in, how the support's going to come in. What are we going to do? You know, give me the itinerary. Give me the budget. Give me the confirm, you know, the confirmation in the bank account. And then I'll go, God. It wasn't until Abraham was on the mountain that God provided. And for the YWAMers, it wasn't until they were cleaning the ship that God provided the fish. And then it, it, you know, it probably wasn't until weeks after the fish that the money started coming in to actually make the ship seaworthy. And I also see how Abraham takes his obedience as far as he can go. And he doesn't have times of, or pauses of hesitation where he's saying, God, haven't I proven enough to you? Don't you know that I love you? Haven't I demonstrated enough? Haven't you seen enough? How far, how far are you going to ask me to go? But he just takes it all the way to the end. And it's only when the angel of the Lord called out to him and stopped him that he, that he could stop. At the, the last passable moment. And again, that's what we see in the YWAMers. You know, they're, they're cleaning as much as they can. They're praying, they're fasting, they're not waiting to fit, you know, they're not waiting for the check to come into the bank. And they're also serving the, the Greek people while they're waiting for the ship. They're not waiting for it to be complete before they start serving. I think the third thing that stands out to me is, is the blessing for the nations because of Abraham's obedience. Mm-hmm. And uh, we already talked about that. I think it'll be good to remind ourselves that our acts of obedience will have an effect on others. And we may not know how or how much or when, but we can be encouraged that that our obedience does impact people around us. Two is uh, the thing to remember, too, is that this life is not the end game. That God's ultimate purpose for life is not that we would have the life we desire, that we long for the comfort that we want, the lifestyle that we want, the standard of living that we want. 
God's purpose for us on this earth is to know him and to make him known. And the way of Christ is the way of the cross. It's the way of sacrifice. It's, it's dying to ourselves. And so our obedience brings blessing to other. Remembering that our obedience brings blessing. God, God may ask us to die to ourselves and our own dreams in order to bring blessings to others. And the writer, and the writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 11 tells us how people could do that. It says if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city by faith. Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in that act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham had the promise and he had God and he knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead. What he knew is God is faithful, but his eyes were not on what he possessed. His eyes were on God. And I think if our, if our eyes are on what we can possess or what we think we should get out of life, we will never be satisfied. And I think we'll always be fighting God for how much can I hold on to? But the more we look to the heavenly city, the more we look to the country that, you know, the far off country, um, as C.S. Lewis calls it, the, our, our home, the more we keep our eyes on our home, our heavenly home, the easier it is to sacrifice the things of this world because we trust God and we trust his promises. But we've had to go without knowing and we've been in Montana now for about two and a half weeks. And what has been going on with us? So we arrived in Montana and discovered that it's cold and there's a lot of snow. And we heard that the snow can stay on the ground until May. Which surprised us. We were expecting it to be spring. Yeah, I don't know why I, I didn't research more about Montana weather in March, but this it's pretty typical for there to still be snow at this time, and it's been great for our boys. And we discovered that this, this house that we're staying in is at a great location. It's within just a few minutes walking distance to a park and to hiking trails and a sledding hill, so the boys have been loving it, and... We've been able to get back into routine with homeschooling and also just um, maybe just regrouping as a family. In transition, but it, it hasn't been smooth because our car got damaged. Um, our first day in Montana, our first full day in Montana, we hit a, a huge bump and our tie rods needed to be replaced. And then our serpentine belt also started falling off and so we're in this new place on mission and suddenly our car is in trouble you know sometimes you think well god why does this have to happen to me i'm here serving you why do i have to go through this <laughs> we've had a fair number of car problems over the last six months but in the moment i just 
prayed and said, God, I need help. Will you, how am I going to do this? Help me to know how to fix this. And it turned out our neighbor loves working on cars and he has a, a whole bunch of tools that he offered to let me use. And so through those tools and through YouTube, we were able to, I was able to figure out how to get the car fixed. And so our car finally got fixed. And then today, the tire, uh, one of our tires uh, got severely punctured and we found out we have to replace all our tires. That was unexpected. So we have unexpected car problems. And we also, initially, we didn't have any invitations to speak. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't doing ministry and we were wondering, God, what are we doing out here? Did you really call us out here? And it's been amazing for the boys, but we're wondering why, why are we here? But being in this place of dependence and uncertainty and not knowing and or being able to see what's ahead, what it has done is I feel like we're in more conversation with God throughout the day as we seek him because we're so dependent on him and we need him for the small things like the car repairs or just to know where to go grocery shopping in a new city. And we need him to to provide as we look to moving ahead to the next place. And, and I would say that's, a tr- that's true. Like we are far more aware of God moment by moment each Mm -hmm. day because without God intervening, it's not going to work. And so I think, you know, to be honest, we've been fighting anxiety. We've been, uh, we've been fighting questions and we just keep going back to reminding each other to worship, to pray, to give thanks, to remember what God has done this far and I, I think, you know, with the, even the tire going out, we saw God's hand and how that happened. Yeah, so I was just on my way to the grocery store today, and uh, the warning light came on for low tire pressure. And so I pulled over at the first gas station I saw, and there's the air pump, drove up, got out of the car. And as soon as I crouched down to unscrew the cap on the tire... I saw right there at the top of the tire that there was a screw in there. And so I could see exactly what was causing the problem. The tire was punctured. And if the tire had been in a different position where the screw was on the side or on the bottom, I wouldn't have known. I would have just put the air in the tire and just kept driving and then run into the same problem. But that gas station where I stopped, I could see Walmart right behind it. And so all I had to do was turn around and pull right into Walmart where I could get the tire looked at. And so even even in the the frustration of needing to replace the tires, God's grace and the timing and, and the location of the tire so you could see the screw. And another story is, you know, we haven't known where we were going after Montana. Well, originally we thought we were going to go up north and to the west. Originally we thought we were going to go out to Vancouver. But then once we arrived here, we got an invitation to go down to Phoenix and do ministry there. So because our friends invited us down for ministry, we decided to plan to head south instead of to Vancouver. South to Phoenix. And then we prayed about 
how long we how long we should plan to be in the Phoenix area. And I kind of felt like it may be close to a month, but the Airbnb prices were crazy. And I knew that how are we going to be able, you know, I'm so I'm wondering, there's no way we can afford that. How are we going to be down there for a month? But you felt like it was going to be three weeks. Yeah, I just had this sense, like three weeks. And we look at the Airbnb prices, and it, with our current resources, it's just impossible. And so we talk, We ended up talking to our friends the next day, and we said, hey, we could come down for two days or for a month, but we can't afford to stay in a place. Yeah, so the four of us just ended the call and saying, what, let's all be in prayer about this knowing that God needs to provide a place. And then the next day I got a message from our friend and she said that one of their church members happens to be traveling at the same time that we are planning to be down there. And she wants to let us stay in her home while she travels, which will be for a period of three weeks. And so it just works out. And it's like, as our time in Montana comes to an end, we'll be able to go down to Phoenix and stay for three weeks or so and minister on this uh, on a native reservation mm-hmm. on the and we'll be able to minister on the Pima reservation at a church there and it's interesting because just the night before we got word about this house for us to stay we were asking are we crazy are we delusional are we imagining we were, things we were envisioning like sleeping in a tent in their rock garden in their backyard and asking those questions. Is this crazy? Did we yeah. lead ourselves out here? Yeah. Um, but it was just so quickly that God in his kindness answered our prayers and provided for us. And so we don't think we're crazy right now. We were encouraged. We were, we were deeply encouraged. Yeah. But before we go to Phoenix, we're going up to Ronan, Mont- we're going up to Ronan, Montana to minister at a YWAM base. This coming weekend. Yeah. And so we are, we're really, I'm really excited about this. We're going to be uh, leading worship and sharing stories and teaching from scripture to a small group of people in like a living room, family room type setting. I'm just, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. This is a connection through a friend in Taiwan and, and they've invited us up and just said, please, you know, do what you do, which we're like, what do we do? And it may be that we've come to Montana purely for that one meeting and that God has something in that meeting that he wants to do. And he brought us all the way out here for that. And now we're going way south to Phoenix because he's got stuff for us to do there. Bo's got to go take care of Theo. So I'm going to wrap up this episode myself. But we are excited to see what God is going to do. We're following him by faith. We're going without knowing. And we don't know if this journey is going to last a few months or a few years. Uh, But we're excited to be able to go by faith. And it means that we have to trust God on a daily basis. And so if you want to follow what we're doing, we have our website, goingnotknowing.com, where we blog and post pictures. We also have our YouTube channel, Going Not Knowing. We're planning to post a video a week 
And so if you'd like to follow along, if you'd like to see video of what our family's doing and, and the ministry that we're doing, you can find it there. And we would ask that you would pray for us. Please uh, pray that God would guide us, that he would minister through us in power, that he would continue to provide for us as we go and that we would walk closely with him. But thank you so much for listening to us and we will see you next time.